Welcome everyone to another episode of the In Real Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Semino, and with me as always is my co-host, Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. It's so late, Miss Sure. It's almost early. Is that a line from this? I can't ask you every time. I know the answer, but that is a line from this very bad movie, Andrew. Yes, and there are not a lot of good ones to choose from. Uh, I thought I mean, you'd pull I, something. I, that, does McKellen say that? I feel like McKellen must say something of value. He does when they show up at the, his house. I, I almost went with Witness, the greatest cover-up in movie history, but I feel like everyone knows that. I try to pick something a little bit more obscure. Everyone knows that? I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think everyone... Well, I remembered that line immediately from the trailer. Yes, I... is that you're right. That is a, that is one of those trailer lines for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, in fact, it's probably just in the movie for to to be used in the trailer, and then they were like, "Ah, eh, we'll just keep it in there." This is a yeah. movie that feels made to make money and adapt a known property, and it made seven hundred and sixty million dollars worldwide. So it did exactly that, but it's so bad, it's a mess. We're here, of course, to talk about The Da Vinci Code, the 2006 American mystery thriller film directed by Ron Howard and starring Tom Hanks, which is the reason we're doing it. We are still going through the Tom Hanks filmography, selected items. This is the second to last episode, and Andrew, this is a real bad one. Like we talked in our last episode, the terminal one, that Tom's on a bit of a, a roller coaster at best, some ups and some downs. This is, I think, as down, at least as prominently down as the man ever gets. I feel like this movie is so, it, it leaves me with so little, like a vacuum of like emotion purely that it was hard for me to be like, yeah, I really want to spend an evening talking about this movie. Like after I've already devoted like much more of my time than I would like to, to this film. <laughs> I mean, we pulled back the veil. We both watched this weeks ago. And yeah. for scheduling and just, I think, apathy reasons, it was definitely a difficult one to pull ourselves together to talk about. It's like, yeah, do we have to? Like, I think, I don't know, like, going back to it, I was like, we got to put Da Vinci Code on there because I feel like it was one of his biggest, like, commercial hits since, the like, the string that we kind of went through that sort of started with, like, a league of their own and goes to like castaway, I guess roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at this movie and I mean, I, I'm saying this in an era of and where I'm extremely cynical about the reasons movies get made and like the franchise superhero context. But like this movie just seems like a very cynical money grab from all involved. Uh, it's just not good. And talented so. people are involved when, in all aspects of it, and yet it still sucks. It's lifeless and it's bad. But before we get into that, Andrew, let's do beverage of choice. We're going to need big beverages for this one. I hope you got something yeah. mighty. I got a Paloma in a can, a Cutwater tequila grapefruit Paloma. I thought a nice cocktail. I was trying to think of something maybe Italian or just European. And then I was like, you know what, fuck it. I got, I got tequila, drink in a can. I'm going to have that. Yeah, I felt like red wine would have fit here, and I could have made some joke about the sacred feminine. Uh, but then... Uh... <laughs> Like I, f- I feel like this this movie was consulting enough to the Catholic it doesn't deserve the, that that <laughs> amount of effort. That's too much. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why pile on though when this movie insulted insults the Catholic faith? Uh, I mean, more than the Democrats are right now, right? So uh, there's a little timely political humor hey, for you guys. Tied it to a time and a place. Uh, everyone, just just stop listening. I'm sorry. No more Amy Coney Barrett jokes tonight. I promise. 
<laughs> so what are you drinking then? Oh yeah, right. Yes, uh, I am drinking. I'm uh, right. Sorry, uh, keep me on focus uh, on task here. I am bringing drinking something called Bring the Motherfucking Rewakis, which is a type of hop apparently, uh, from Oliver Brewing Company. Which when you get back to this coast, uh, you can drink some of because it's brewed right up the road in Baltimore. And my favorite thing about this beer, besides the profanity on the can is that it is uh it is exactly 9.99 percent wow so you are gonna need to be kept in focus in about 20 minutes or so probably i'm probably gonna fall asleep uh by the end of this which (laughs) you know yeah talking about da vinci code should have that outcome though you should be disoriented and sleepy that that seems very appropriate (laughs) All right, Andrew, let's get into it. So as you noted, as we both noted, the reason we did this movie is because it's a Tom Hanks movie. It's a big one. But the whole time we were watching this, like I I assume everyone out there is familiar with The Da Vinci Code. Huge book, big adaptation, big cast, directed by Ron Howard. Huge deal. Very expensive, very successful. But I, I remember when this movie came out and to this day, wondering why Tom Hanks made this movie. At the time, I think we might have assumed... I know I read the book. It's a dumb book, but as a page-turner, it was interesting. You thought maybe there'd be like a smart Indiana Jones-type deal. There's puzzles, there's mysteries, etc. But that's not there. And I, I, I guess I could have... You know, back in 2005, I could have given Tom Hanks the benefit of the doubt and assumed it was going to turn out well. The fact that he made this and then made two others, and they're all so bad. I just, what, what do you think, now that we've had this time to look back, what was Tom trying to do with this movie, with this series, with Robert Langdon in general? I honestly think he was trying to work with his buddy, Ron Howard. That's my, like, because he's worked with Ron Howard a bunch you know that that's my only like explanation other than just hanks straight like uh just want to make a bunch of money but like does he really need that at this point like he doesn't need the money right at this point in his career we assume i mean like we've never heard about tom hanks spending his money like nicholas cage or something i was gonna say no castle purchases Uh, that i'm aware of yeah yeah he seems like a pretty pretty practical uh guy like i'm sure he's living large but he's not like yeah buying like the first episode of or first issue of superman or whatever (laughs) um so that's my only like theory and then i think you know you said like smart indiana jones just like maybe scenario but like i think to drill into that like this is like like if indiana jones was just Indiana Jones stopping every five minutes to explain some part of archaeological history for like two and a half hours. <laughs> without the whipping, without the snakes, without yes. the, the girl, without the adventure. Yeah. 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 You like, you, you like the Indiana Jones thing. Like, I mean, obviously a far superior movie, like you, you take on that archeological like pseudo history so that like you can get some fucking action sequences in Egypt. Like that's why you do it. Right. Like you don't do it so that you can give everyone like, a very brief pop culture BS history of like Western civilization from, you know, the birth of Christ to present. Yeah. Spielberg's uh, not looking to like dissect artifacts, you know, he's like, I want to make a movie. Right. that's about Indiana Jones, but actually right. it's about pots and shit. Like that's not the point of those <laughs> right. movies. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's, so it's just, it's just, I, I think we talked a little bit about this before we got on. Like it, it feels like they, they actually just, hewed too closely to the book and the book can do a lot of those a book can do a lot of those asides 
much more nimbly than a movie can without it like without you losing interest i will say though that i also read the book and i personally think that it was the first and i wrote this on my in my letterbox mini review uh of this movie after i watched it that like to me the da vinci, the da vinci code's popularity as a book uh was the first sign to me that america was in severe decline so um <laughs> <laughs> so you know now i don't know that the da vinci code movie really furthers that because i don't really think as successful as it was i don't think anyone now gives it like one passing thought um perhaps other than some angry people at the priory of scion or whatever (laughs) i yeah i mean it is it does feel very much like they picked up the plot of the book and dropped it into a movie format and moved a few things around here and there and said there you go but there's just there's no tension there's no mystery the the like you said the the the, the, the puzzle solving or the explanations in the book where they can set it up by talking about Jesus and da 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 da, da that they, they are able, they're able to lay the foundation for those a little more by just just by dint of how books work like they can add context and background and detail in ways that don't need to be said by the characters in the movie so they're, all they're a all they're doing is saying shit anyway it's like it's all exposition and rambling and b that just doesn't serve that doesn't build towards what it needs to build towards like you don't like Ian McKellen shows up halfway through and you're like oh this new and he's a great character he's the best part of the movie you're like who what why and then he has a little he gives more information and they go here like there's just nothing feels connected in any real way beyond the fact that that's how the story was told in the book you know like that is it really is an adaptation in the strictest sense of you've read the book now here's the movie version starring a lot of actors and actresses you've seen before wasn't that fun thanks for your nine dollars like there's really it it does not stand on its own in any way shape or form and that's bad that's not that's not uh that's not what we're looking for it's really not what anyone's looking for i don't think well i mean in some ways it's like the ultimate form of fan service right but like 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 just here's the same thing you already seem to have liked america but just with like three dimensions and you know tom hanks like it's just like the whole movie is just like we have dinged on this podcast and in our writing many many times far superior movies for um for for using uh, leaning too heavily on dialogue to to do exposition right to like there's so many like i think for both of us one of the things that i at least for me that i i define as sort of a hallmark of a really great film is when it when it it shows and it doesn't tell you know like like there's there's so many ways in the entire history of film that great films do that and you know not great films or even mediocre films don't and like this movie is like entirely made up of that it's it's like comical it's it's not even like they're doing it too much it's like that's all there is to the movie so much so that like you know you like i don't even know like the if it wasn't for Tom Hanks's hair in this movie, I don't. I wouldn't remember. I would. I don't think I remember the name Robert Langdon. Like, <laughs> like he's the most boring character. I said before we got on, like, give him a goddamn drug problem or something like that to, like, you know, to, to make him somewhat. Andrew, he's afraid no of spaces. Is... He's claustrophobic. 
<laughs> you know, my notes like Robert Langdon's kryptonite is dot 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 walls. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is this is the most boring guy. And some of ever. the spaces he's put in, that's it's nitpicking, but they're not even that tight. Like there's the back of that oh. truck and he freaks out. I'm like, this is pretty this isn't like a trunk trunk, this is like the back of an armored van. Like it's very it's like a closet. It's a very, very spacious closet. Like that's I get being scared, but like that's not the most frightening, you know it's not like he's buried underground or something. It's not that bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't know. Like, and, you know, Ian McKellen does come in and I think kind of like saves this movie from being like really like like a one star, half star out of 10 movie for me. Like, uh, and he he's just, he brings some spice to it just purely by being Ian McKellen. I will tell you, I was looking at my note, I have notes like when he shows up, I go, Ian McKellen really takes this film up a notch and then like four lines down i wrote mckellen's character is fucking annoying <laughs> so, <laughs> so it like it brings it alive but not for no, because like um, you said, it's the, it's the same shit he's just doing a spicier version of the same thing the movie's been doing the whole time yeah 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 and finally there's a villain that's not uh like this not paul bettany and a lot of white makeup, so... I, it's yeah, such I a waste know. of all these great actors, too. Jean Renault, Paul Bettany, Audrey Tateau, Alfred Molina, like, that's... These are all, like, very, very accomplished people in their own right who who have been in other things and have had so much flash and and spice to them there and, and light up the screen. And uh, here, they're all just... You know, even Bettany, like, I remember that role of Silas. Like, that was a big deal. And that, like, in the book, yeah. I recall that being, like, a very shocking thing. And then you see the version in the movie... And it's just like, we're, there's just nothing, there's nothing there. Like it doesn't, maybe it's because we all knew what was coming. I, I don't like, I don't even want to give the book that much of a benefit. Like I, I don't, I really don't, I can't break down exactly what is so flat about this, but everything is flat. And I have to, as much as I want to blame Tom Hanks for being so flat himself mm-hmm. and playing a huge part in this, you have to blame Ron Howard a ton. Like it's just, there's yeah. really not much. He's the director. He's the guy. Like he's very good. He's made good movies before. So it's not like we are... Uh, you know, unfamiliar if this guy really has the chops. Like, we saw Paul, we did a Paul 13 on this podcast. It was the best. It might be the best movie we've watched of this entire series. It's tremendous. And then you see this, you're like, where is this guy? Like, not that Space Flight isn't exciting, but like, it wasn't, it was like true life, three guys in a little pod space flight. You know, it wasn't like, gra- it wasn't like Gravity. It wasn't like Star Wars. It was like a very muted thing for a space movie. And he made it just so exciting and interesting. And this one, which has so much, like, they're traveling through these you know countries and seeing these backdrops and these ca- colorful characters and the louvre and all this shit and like none it's all just window dressing it's all just there and has no purpose other than just sitting there and existing yeah that's a really good point and like i think apollo 13 obviously a great contrast because we just talked about it not a couple months ago but like um <laughs> like like you know, that movie makes you care about the characters. Like you care about Tom Hanks's character. You even care about Gary Sinise's character who's like stuck on earth because of disease, something, whatever reason he couldn't go up into space. Like you care about, and he takes all these steps like with, with Tom Hanks's wife in that movie and her like being worried about losing the wedding ring, like that humanizes the character and makes you care about him. This movie just doesn't make you care about the characters at all like i don't want to root for them i don't really care what happens to them like if they're just a vehicle to like uh go to paris and then to like a cool church in england then like 
I mean, I got Google Earth, man. I can <laughs> kind of do that all by all by itself. Or Google and, Images, like, you can just look it up and go, yeah, that's really that's pretty cool looking. I, I guess well, I wish I was there, but it, yeah, and you know what's interesting too? Like you think about Apollo thirteen, like the setup of that movie is like, yes, they're going to space, so it's not <laughs> that's that's not a um, that that's that's literally not on this uh, on this planet uh, to make an obvious point, but. <laughs> the film itself is contained in like this spaceship that like is basically a death trap. Right. So there, the, the, even though it's in space, there is this, cla- there is this claustrophobia. There is this element of just three guys trying to solve a really scary problem. Right. And this movie is just like Tom Hanks on a tour of Western Europe. <laughs> like who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, yeah. So it, it just like, in some ways it, 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 it left me with zero emotion at all, which in some ways is worse than like a bad movie that I actively like loathe in some, you know, in some capacity. I just don't feel anything at all for this. I film. was just going to echo that same point because before we got started recording, we were talking about where this sort of ranks in the pantheon of all the Hanks movies, and neither one of us likes Sleepless in Seattle nor You've Got Mail. But those movies, you know, for all their faults, which I think are, are relatively ample, like, I see who they were speaking to, I see what they were trying to do, you know, I, I don't think they are bad movies, per se. I, I just think their flaws are very noticeable and, for me, uh, disqualifying, and, just, and I just, they're not movies I enjoy, they're not movies I want to see again. This is just, this is, like, it... The, the most you can the biggest plus you can give it is competency like it is a very competent movie and that it like looks fine and everyone's fine and now the camera doesn't break halfway through like the story <laughs> is told from a to z it hits the beats that you're expecting from the book but that is it like there's nothing and, and mckellen but like you said mckellen really only for about 15 minutes in the middle of the movie and then he sort of becomes the bad then it all just goes off the rails again like there's just there's so little to like like if i met someone and they said this is my favorite movie i would ask them to seek like help i would say like <laughs> or i'd be like have you seen no other movies like were you Kenny right. schmidt were you stuck in the yeah. ground and now you're out and you've seen one movie because like that would be just say whereas if someone told me sleeps in seattle was was their favorite movie i'd be happy doing like i would i would be i wouldn't agree but i'd be curious to hear their reasoning why you know like i could see that i just cannot see liking this movie at all there's nothing i mean we can talk about the christianity parts i guess like if you are religious or anti you could find something there but even then it's the thinnest bullshittiest side of things to grab onto yeah and i think to bring it back to hanks it's like there's just like i feel like he's not even in the movie like like i i like like there's nothing about his persona that he's crafted over all these like i think about where we started this right like turner and hooch which is also not a good movie but like it's clear that Tom Hanks has something about him, even in that film, that um, that makes you feel a certain way. You're you're drawn to him. You know he has charisma and this sort of like every man charisma. Although he's got a nice smoking bod in that one. Uh, <laughs> in this one, it's sure like does. he's got he's got the hair, and he's just like kind of an old professor he's smart i guess like he's not dumb but he's not yeah it's like all right no. i guess you're you're an intelligent man that's cool do i like intelligent people like kind of maybe yeah so i don't know like it just feels like it's it's like a hollow performance from hanks in a ultimately a hollow movie i think like the ultimate metaphor for this movie is that like tom hanks's character robert langdon 
ends the movie essentially like reading his own book uh, <laughs> like, that, that his character has written. Like he doesn't remember what he's written in it. And it's just like, when I, that happened, I was like, Oh man, like, <laughs> like, like he had to reference his own scholarship. <laughs> like, like, Oh, there's something here. Let me see what I wrote down in this thing that I theoretically researched a lot on. Like I just, it, it's ridiculous. It's a bad movie. It's a really bad movie. One it's, thing I'll say is during sad. during the quarantine and during COVID, I've watched a ton of I've watched a hundred I've logged on Letterboxd hundred and fifty movies, I think. So it's pretty good. I've been like I always Maybe. we watch we watch movies our entire lives, but like I've never tracked them so closely before and i've never like uh, ranked them so like like with actual stars before usually like you and i would do it for the podcast or for the website and then at the end of the i'd really just do it for the year's new movies you know like if i watched yeah. mortal kombat on tnt i wasn't giving that three and a half stars though it is great yeah. and i love mortal kombat but <laughs> but one thing i will say is I've, I've gained more of an appreciation for like you mentioned turner and hooch for movies that know what they are and succeed yeah tremendously at what they are trying to be you know like i think you can if i mean i, I don't think turner hooch is this example but i think you can give a movie about a guy and a dog on an adventure a four and a half stars you know and say this is the best guy and dog on adventure movie you could possibly ever make like i don't think that's a crazy yeah. thing to do and i think when you do something like this that is 200 million dollar movie adaptation of a huge book competent people up and down on the cast and crew and when that bombs it's just embarrassing it's just such a mess and i know that that bombing critically and making money are not the same thing and then the latter is more important than the former for most people but it's just i i can't believe they made two more i can't believe people like it's just this is just so this, this to me is worse than the book because the book you can read in your own home you can draw your conclusions like it's just it does and you, you don't know oh i'm gonna hear about this da vinci code i gotta go check out this book and then you can read it and be like oh this is stupid hogwash bullshit but this movie we all knew what the book was we all and then we saw it and then ever like and then it still continued to make money and then they made two more and like we're all this makes me sadder about the state of the world and america than the book does because i think we're all this proves how dumb we are that we keep coming back for more you know i think fool us once we're all like human beings are are going to get fooled once every now and then but when you get fooled twice thrice four times you're just in big trouble and i think that the fact there's so many da vinci code stories so much robert langdon so much dumb stuff that part makes me very very sad about all this and i'm sad that tom hanks participated and was a willing was complicit in in this whole uh nightmare perpetuated on the human race you know what's funny about what you're saying is that we're we're sitting here through time like like less than three weeks from election day which is like the election the presidential elections to me uh, besides being sort of panic-inducing this year, uh, are uh, a colossal waste of resources, right? Like millions and millions and millions of dollars go into uh, TV ads and all this stuff and COVID super spreader events if you're Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> and yet what, you're, what, you're, what I'm hearing when you sit here and talk through this is that like, one of the best examples of a complete waste of money that you've seen the last couple of months <laughs> is the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> like, you know, like, which is really what you're saying. You're saying, like, they spent $200 million and all I got was this. 
Like, Simil- that's similar all they unnecessary you know, excess like... and very different types, but similarly yeah. stupid and broad and unnecessary. And you wouldn't think yeah. people want it. You wouldn't think our culture was built for this to be desired and successful. But here we are in 2020 and Ron Howard and Tom Hanks are, and Fox and everyone are outrageously richer. And uh, we're the ones who suffer as a result. Sorry, not Fox. Columbia, imagine Skylark. The government of Malta. Hey, look at that. Wow. Sony. There's so many people that are rich as a result of this. Not not us. We are we are much less rich for having watched it. <laughs> we are poorer in, in spirit and in funds as the person <laughs> had to rent it. I oh my god. Yeah, it's it's uh it's enough to make you lose a little faith in humanity, isn't it? And faith um, in Tom, unfortunately. Oh like we talked last time. This is just and we should talk about you know, because we're taking a big leap from here. We're go. We're skipping yeah. Yeah. four, thirteen years of the man's career. But there's just there. I think one of the reasons we felt okay doing that is there's just not a ton in the middle that we that you do more than shrug about. Like at least this one gets our ire up. You know, like Charlie Wilson's War, Angels and Demons. Oh my God, um, Larry Crown, Cloud Atlas. Actually, we could have done Cloud Atlas. Then you, until you hit. Captain Phillips and Bridge of Spies, you get almost yep. like you get six, seven years of just nothing. Like, and even after that, it's very hit or miss. Like, it's a long, long stretch for for Mr. Hanks where he's just whiffing on almost everything. And I think you do start to wonder around now, like, what is this guy's deal? Like, why is this happening? Why has he been bad for seven years in a row? You know? Yeah, and I, it's like it kind of goes back to one of the things we've talked about, which is like, is this is this sort of inevitable for any actor, especially actor of like this prominence that like, you just can't keep hitting home runs every, (laughs) like for, you can only do home runs for very long. I mean, we have a whole separate podcast series about someone who has a similarly long career yet. um, You know, there's a very clear peak, right? Like, whoa, and, I do not it, co-sign on that. Necessarily. Uh, <laughs> no, I do. You You're very uh, right. Obviously, the you, Al Pacino okay, yeah. '70s versus Al Pacino '80s and '90s, obviously messy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, which is not to say, like, even with Al, like, it's not to say, you know, they can't still do good things. It's just like, you know, can they do? Can they be the leading man that they were? Like, I can't honestly think of an actor who who was just like great for decades and did a lot of stuff right like yeah Daniel you really Day- i was gonna say you if you don't step away for like i know nicholson started stepping away at a certain point and doing being yeah. very choosy and i think that really helped him a lot he still had a couple misses here and there but hanks worked a ton from 2007 to 2013 like he made looks like at least one or two if not more movies a year or produced some too like he so that makes i think we were we were oversaturated and it was unsatisfying that's a very tough combo yeah i was gonna bring up daniel day lewis like he does a movie like every five years so like i don't know that that's like a fair comparison like he's trying and he's just doing it a totally different and he works way. with with paul oh. thomas anderson a lot and other wonderful directors i think right. it's it's telling that in when when hanks works with paul greengrass in 2013 with captain phillips when he works with spielberg in 2015 for bridge of spies all of a sudden he's hitting home runs again you know and it's like oh yeah. wow like maybe he should work with good directors only like maybe yeah. he got a you know not to, to slight him but maybe he got a little big for his britches and was like i'm tom hanks like these are all or i'll try new things with new people and at the end of the day that's that's a very 
very difficult path to go down because he, he, he there are people who know what make him tick, Spieli, you know, chief among them, and uh, there are people who don't. And I think that certainly made it a little harder and made some of the misses more, again, more pronounced. Yeah, although, I mean, it's funny, like, we, Ron Howard, like, we sort of talked about, was like, who he worked with on this film is, is capable um, although I guess maybe you wonder the same thing about Ron Howard. I'm trying to think of the last like Ron Howard film I really loved. Uh, There's not. It's it's and, it's a shakier filmography than you'd think. Our yeah, first class, but still yeah. like three, at least three or four like true, true, very good movies in there. Like more yeah. than a lot of people can yeah. say. And then like five or six very competent ones too. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. Like here, here, here we go into like, and I think the reason we're skipping forward is like you know, it does feel like. Well, you, you you brought up Captain Phillips and Bridge of Spies, so there still are like those sort of classic and roles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we have an episode on Sully already. Go into our archives. Yeah. You want to over here listen yeah. to us talk about Sully. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, like, I mean, I haven't seen uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which, so I'm excited to see it, but also, like, uh, you know, my understanding is that it's more, it's much more of a supporting role, which is kind of an interesting, if that's sort of the the phase of his career that were inter- interesting. I think it's, you know, kind of a good, good place to finish besides the fact that it's basically the last movie he ever did. He, he did before COVID and all that stuff. Uh, I guess with the exception of that world war two movie, that's on Apple Round, TV that no one really saw. No one, no one sees. Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah. think that's why beautiful day is going to be a really fun end point for this, because yeah. like you said, we talked in the first call, we were so, at least I was struck. And I think you were too, by, the, the ensemble cast and even wasn't supporting in the movies like he certainly was very good at seeding time and space and room to his castmates be they female or male often female which was cool too but like either way like yeah. he he clearly had you know was not the kind of person in the 90s even though he was a huge star who demanded every all the oxygen in the room and even when he made castaway it felt like just a great use of tom hanks as opposed to tom hanks the movie star bullying everyone out of the way and just taking over and then i think you know so it's cool to see and even even if he wasn't you know being domineering in this rough decade he had here like he just maybe was just again trying some things that didn't really work i I think people in the neighborhood is a great example of him taking that step back doing that that big that big iconic supporting role like he is the heart of the movie he's the reason the movie exists but he's not He's, he clearly is a supporting actor and was nominated appropriately for the Oscars because he's not big and, you know, around all the time and, and sucking up everything. Like, he, he picks his spots and they use him really, really well. And I think it's going to harken back to the good old days of Hanks that we got to enjoy when he was, you know, by by, by plan or just by happenstance, was was a leading man who, who made it work for everybody, not just himself. Yeah, going into it, it feels a little fu- full circle with A League of Their Own. Uh, I mean... And that may sound like a clumsy comparison on the surface because, you know, obviously the character he plays in a league of their own is profane and, you know, <laughs> loud and lewd and Mr. Rogers is definitely not. But I think they're both larger than life characters in different, very different, obviously very different ways. But they're also like, you know, we talked about on the, on the a league of their own episode. Like, it's funny that he got like top billing for that when he's not really like he's not really the main star of the movie. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it, anyway, I think it'll, it'll, it's, it's a nice way to kind of bring it full circle, bring, 
not exactly full circle. I think that was the second or third movie. Um, but still, I mean, it's a fun uh, one too because that one yeah. was playing against a type that he start just started to cultivate of being like the friendly, you know. Oh, it's, he wasn't America's dad yet, but it was like he was in Bosom Buddies, so he was definitely like he was uh, he was in Bachelor Party, like. But he was still like he was fun loving, but you didn't expect him to be a drunk who curses a lot, like you said. Like, and this one, they're now leaning even harder into the persona he's cultivated over several decades which is this fatherly figure now he's playing the most fatherly figure person in the world and so like it's but it's but at the same time yeah. it's sort of against type two because you know it's you'll see when you see it but like, you know it's tom hanks the entire time but it doesn't distract you know it does you don't think this is tom hanks doing mr rogers and i think that's because they use him so well that when he's on screen you're like oh it's mr Ro no way it's tom no it's like you just you, he does sort of melt into the role in a way that i think both allows him to play on on in character on type, but it, but uh, a little, a few little differences that that make it stand out from just Tom Hanks cashing a paycheck. So, and Mister Rogers can't yell, so that's going to be quite a limitation for, uh, <laughs> yeah. for Tom Hanks. Yeah, Robert Langdon didn't yell either. I don't believe so. It was, uh, it was the, adding to the boringness of this uh, movie. Is there true. was no no true. gasps, no screams, no yelps, no anything like that. Yeah, it's and it's funny you say that like that he melts into the role because one of the last big roles before that that I felt like the complete opposite about was his his role as um ben bradley in the post where i was like that like the whole time i was like i know like i went to journalism school i, I knew and I, I knew i didn't know ben bradley but i knew knew who he was what he looked like what he was all about that i spent the entire movie being like uh like meryl streep is melting into her role tom hanks is like just tom hanks playing an angry news editor like, or you've seen, you know, like, all the president's men. You're like, that's Jason Robards. Like, where's Jason right. Robards? You know, <laughs> like, that's... He was just... He was so... I buy Jason Robards so much more as a cranky old, you know, uh, editor as opposed to Tom Hanks, unfortunately. But he was he was fine. Yeah, it just, it just wasn't exactly... I think you'll be impressed with, with uh, Mr. Rogers' movie and how, how well they pulled that off, so... Well, that's coming up next, everyone, so get ready for that. It is right around the corner. It is the end of the Tom Hanks filmography jaunt. So we are very excited to be done with Tom, not because we didn't enjoy his movies, but, you know, it's uh, time for something different on the Unreal Deep podcast. So we're going to wrap that up and then move on to nice, fresh ground. So please join us for that. As always, subscribe to us, rate and review. We are available everywhere podcasts are, and you can find our archives at inrealdeep.com, along with lots of other stuff. I know Andrew's been chugging out some words here and there. I have been meaning to start watching a lot of the 2020 releases because they're all on streaming, and I've watched very, very, very few of them. <laughs> so I'm going to try and catch up because, uh, you know, I think we all know this is the way the world is. So when we get to awards season next year, it's going to be, what did you watch on streaming? What was your favorite streaming movie? Because that's the only things that are going to be eligible. So it's it's time to uh, embrace that on my end and watch these movies. And the good thing is I can review them like they're kind of new because for a lot of people, I think they, they are not necessarily – hopping on the new releases either so i might i might just treat them like they just came out and watch some so we'll see yeah. tbd in this weird world and i would just give a plug to people subscribing to our email newsletter we're not really doing any social media uh, promotion anymore other than the odd tweet here or there because uh you know social media is accessible and why <laughs> why uh why why wade in a pot you wouldn't piss in um <laughs> but uh but so please subscribe to that and then i'd also say well actually i should plug our social media presence is actually on letterboxd which if people don't know about it they should uh love letterboxd find us follow us there 
I've actually moved a lot of like micro reviews over to there. So like things I've also been catching up on the 2020 reviews. I just wrote something right before we hopped on about uh, the invisible man, which uh, I didn't like very much, but uh, uh, it's not very good. You're, I think that's a, that's the right uh, thought on that. <laughs> I, well, what I wrote was really that I thought that the only good thing about it is Elizabeth Moss, which is a significant good thing, but the rest of the movie is trash. Um, anyway, uh, but anyway, find us I'm on a, I'm Mino six five four three four and Andrew is a Johnson Turp. I think. Let's go take a look. Andrew is a Johnson Turp. That is correct. Yeah. He's got a nice yeah. Casablanca. Oh, you're a patron. You gave them money, huh? I gave them money because I like the 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 just watch integration is worth it. You can find oh, the movie. Okay, it shows I'm gonna you. give them. I'm literally gonna pay them money the second we get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the that gives you when you go in there tells you what where what services those movies are available on which is really nice in this era where we're all stuck at home with only streaming services so um yeah it's pretty nice oh, God. The, um, <laughs> andrew's four favorite movies they let you pick four to put on like sort of a, a little promotional thing at the top andrew's got casablanca when harry met sally snow white and inside lewin davis i've got the life aquatic armageddon big lebowski and the straight story <laughs> so very very different i love foursome. that, that- that to me is like the sign—the sign of a true cinephile. The, like those foursomes, right? Like those are so broad and like like the the range that they. I that love they it. Have. I'm like I'm I'm like I'm putting yeah. up here two things. Like I'm Armageddon is just sort of like to rile people up, and I love Armageddon. Lebowski's great. Live Aquatic's great, and then I love the Straight Story, and I watched it recently and thought it was amazing. So like it's just it's a fun way to just throw some stuff up there and start some conversations, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so anyway, find us on there, folks, and uh, it's a really cool site to just track movies and follow people. And uh, so that, that's our social media work that we're doing, I guess, yes, which is kind of so. makes sense because like all we care about is movies, not yeah. all we care about. But at this point, at least at least in terms part. of like telling people to like follow our opinions, <laughs> that's the only thing I care about. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yes, join us on Letterbox. That would be great. And of course, uh, keep listening to the Enroll Deep podcast. We will be back soon with more. We're almost at our 100th episode. So Andrew and I are going to cook up something yeah. fun for that. Big TBD there, but uh, that'll be very exciting. So we'll get there soon enough. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios. Adios.